Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Today I'll be reading from John chapter 1 verses 14 to 18. The word became flesh and made him dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who he himself is God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. there. Um, good morning to you, morning to you at home, hope everyone's well. Uh, I'm on sabbatical from now after this meeting so I'm feeling a little bit sort of trigger happy, a bit relaxed. Uh, Helen and I have got three months off which is going to be sad because we're going to miss you at chapel. Uh, we'll probably join you online but that means we won't be here but uh, we're quite relaxed and quite happy to be enjoying some time to study, some time to hear God for our future. Um, we are in a series uh, in, in terms of the Bible in 12 verses, and this is the number eight. And you've heard John one fourteen read, which is a wonderful, just to say this to everybody in the room, it's a wonderful verse to memorize. Because it it's just, it's like a... It's like a treasure trove within one verse of the whole Bible story. And if you ever wondered, you know, if you're new to church and new to Christianity, what the story is, John 1.14 has got it all. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, verse. I want to try and help everybody by an, an illustration just to help you to get into this verse. And when I was a very young uh, lad... I got into entomology, which is the study of insects, and particularly lepidoptery, which is the study of butterflies and moths. And if you uh, come from another nation, uh, forgive us, but English butterflies are small. They're tiny. You have to have brilliant eyesight to spot these things. And uh, there's 57 varieties of butterfly. Uh, I've seen 51 of them uh, in terms of my life. Uh, some of them are quite rare. Some of them stay on tops of trees. But when I was a young lad, I heard talk of a butterfly called a morpho. And this was a butterfly that I read about that lived in South America, only in South America. That was his postal address. That's where you went to visit him. Now I read about him, and then I saw a picture of him, and it was beautiful. It's the size of your hand, this fella. Morpho, giant morpho. And what was compelling about this butterfly is they say his wings 
are like mirrors. They reflect the light. Blue reflected mirrors. Now, some years later, I bumped into a lady who had earrings, and in her earrings were little bits of a morpho's wing. And it was like, wow, they're such pretty earrings, beautiful earrings. Then I saw a photograph of a morpho, and thought, wow, they are incredibly beautiful. Years on later, I came across a framed, a real live morpho, live, dead, dead morpho, stuck in a frame, and I was just captivated, absolutely captivated. But here's the point. Five, six years ago, I had the privilege of flying to Bolivia. And when I was in Bolivia, somebody said to me, would you like to travel into the jungle in a four by four? Went into the jungle, came to some waterfalls, we got out. And as we were walking through the forest, the canopy, the, the dark green canopy, started to flash as if someone was having a mirror and reflecting it off the canopy. And then floating down from the trees were these butterflies. A morpho Menelaus, a morpho Didius, a morpho Helena. These were the most captivating thing. I ran through the forest with my butterfly net. <laughs> I could not believe it. They were incredible. They're one of those beautiful butterflies you have ever seen. So if you live in South America, you're a very blessed nation. Our greatest need, I want to say today, our greatest need as Christians is for a revelation of who Jesus is and to be satisfied that that is enough. I feel like I've spotted butterflies all my life and I've seen the morpho, the giant morpho, and well, that's it. I've seen the king of the butterflies and I'm satisfied. I would say for people in our nation, for people in this church, our greatest need is to be satisfied in Jesus. And the question we need to ask is, who do you think Jesus is? It's a great question to try and answer. Who do you think Jesus is? Because if you were to go into the world outside and say, who, who, who do you think Jesus is? You're going to come up with a whole ton of really daft ideas. You are. You, it's like a little piece of a butterfly's wing and a bit of jewelry. You might see a little bit of truth. My hairdresser was cutting my hair. I said, who do you think Jesus is? He said, I know who he was. He's an alien. An alien. Yeah, he came down from space and he's gone back. I said, on what do you base that? Well, it doesn't say in the Bible he went up, on the, when he was resurrected, he went up into heaven. That proves it, doesn't it? A little bit of, little bit of truth, but you can, cannot grasp the size of Jesus. So we have people say he's a good man, he's a hippie, he's a good teacher. You have people saying, no, I don't believe he even existed. I think he's been exaggerated. There's a whole ton of half-truths out there. And even when you come to the church of Jesus Christ, the problem you have with the church of Jesus Christ is for a lot of people out there, when they come into the church, they feel that Jesus is in a box. They feel he's being framed dead. There's a cross, a great big cross, sometimes with a figure on it, and, oh yeah, that's Jesus. That, that's the Jesus that you worship. He's dead. 2,000 years ago, he was crucified. He's dead, 
and that's the end of him. He's buried, yeah, good teacher, good moral teacher, good person to follow, but he's dead. And what this message is about, what John 1.14 is all about, is he, 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 the word, Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled. He dwelt among us and says, John, we, we, we've seen his glory. We've seen God in the flesh. We've been sort of thinking he might be in a box. We think he's not being hearing. Now we've seen him, heard him, and he is glorious. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Now, I want to challenge us all this morning. I want to be really practical. Very, very. Many of us keep Jesus at arm's length. Many of us want a Jesus that works to our agenda. Many of us think that Jesus is a little bit like a genie in a lamp, that when we need him, we can rub it, but the rest of our life, we can get on with it. Even in church life, we can have the chocolate box Jesus, where we want Jesus to say the nice things, but we don't really want him to say the bad things. And so we pick out the soft-scented ones that are very sweet and tacky and we don't want the toffees and the chewy ones. But if we're truly to be satisfied in Jesus, we need to understand what John is saying when he talks about full of grace and truth. So I want to ask you all a question this morning. I want to ask, how is your spiritual tummy? Are you feeling full? You know when your children at your table, they say, oh, I can't eat any more, don't want any more greens, don't want any more meat, push it all aside. So you're full, yeah, I'm full. Then you bring out the puddings, they say, well, my pudding, tum pudding is empty, my pu pudding tummy is empty, I can have some pudding, but I don't fancy any more meat. How is your appetite this morning in things of God? See, I'm praying this morning that when we come to the end of this message, that some of you will say, do you know what? I'm hungry for more of God. I'm hungry for more grace in my life. I'm hungry for more truth, for more glory in my life. And please, if you've got your Bibles open, know that, notice this word, full. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of one only came from the Father, full, full of grace and truth. What does the word full mean here? It means complete. It means that there is nothing ever that can be added to it. It is the final, it is the full, it is the complete, it is the incomparable, it is everything that you can ever have in that. And Jesus, John says, is full, complete, the final, the, the complete, the perfect revelation of grace and truth. So important you understand this. It's, it's, it's not that we can add a little bit more grace or a little bit more truth to who Jesus was. Imagine, in terms of truth, a library. 
the biggest library in the world, a library which has every piece of truth, of history, of psychology, of, of, of geology and cosmology. It's got everything. It's the size of London, this library. It's got every single book, every single map, everything. It's got the, every bit of knowledge in the world. There's nothing you can add to that library. Jesus is that library. There's no truth. You can't improve on Jesus. You can't say, Jesus, you need to get with the times in the UK. We've got, got some new things going here. Got a bit more truth. No, Jesus is the final revelation, the completeness of every single truth there is. Full truth. Grace. He's full of grace. So imagine a a tank above us, a tank which is the size of the Mediterranean Ocean, full of of water, full of grace. It's it's full, it's, it's complete, you can't add a drop to it, and that is the grace of God over every situation over every living person, every every life, every every church, there is grace upon grace upon grace. You can't add, you can't exhaust it. It's a fullness that is vast as an ocean, beyond the wildest, widest seas, east and west, beyond the, the cosmos, the universe, such is the love and grace of Almighty God towards you and towards me. You can't exhaust it this morning. If you're thinking... I came for ministry last week. I think I've had my share this month. No, no, no. Yesterday was grace. Today is grace. He says there, doesn't he? He says, grace upon grace. And so that's what we need a revelation of this morning. And that's my job to try and teach you or help you in terms of a hunger this morning. So let me say this firstly. Are you hungry for the glory of of God. As a church, as an individual, are you hungry for that? You remember Moses on the mountain when he received the law? Can you remember Moses when he went up on that mountain? Do you know what he asked for? Glory. What was the glory of God? God said, I'm going to pass past, but you can't see my face. Moses says, you know, it's great to have your law. It's wonderful to have you calling a people to yourself, but I want, to, I want more. I want, to, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? The disciples, three disciples went up there. And the glory of God comes on Jesus and his face shone like the sun. And John now says, you know, looking back, we've seen his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son. We've seen something of his glory. Now, the problem I've got, the problem I think you, many of you might have is, it's not a word, glory, that we use very often. When was the last time you used the word glory? Land of hope and glory, you might have sung that, or you may have quoted the earth will we fill with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But glory is not something you tend to say very often, is it? Or glorious, you don't, you know, how is the football match? It's a glorious. We don't, you don't say that, do you? What's that dress? Oh, it's glorious, that dress. You're full of glory. So, glory's a little bit like the word beauty. It's a bit hard to describe. You can't just sort of put it there and say, there, there it is. What's, what's beauty? 
Well, you could say, well, she is beautiful, that flower is beautiful because it's got fragrance, because of the color, because of the shape and the size and the way the dress flows. Yes, yeah, beautiful. Well, glory is a little bit like that. And so we need some help. And whenever I need help, I go to John Piper. He's very helpful. He says this, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is God going public on his holiness. So think, holiness means other. It means beyond us. It means in another category altogether. So God's nothing like us. It's, it's not like we, we've got God and he's a bit, bit like us. We can tell him a few things. No, God is completely different from us. And, and, and when we see into heaven as Isaiah did and the angels going, holy, 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 this is the God who is completely worthy of all worship, completely different. And God, in his holiness, puts his holiness on display. He puts all of his goodness, all of his attributes on display. And when that happens, it is glorious. There are moments of glory. We touch God. Glory is the revelation of God's greatness, his attributes, his perfections, and the goal of all things, the goal of your life, the goal of my life, the goal of this church is God's glory. That all rightful praise, everything belongs to him. He's worthy of everything. And so, my friends, when I'm thinking of this church, when I think of Westminster Chapel and its future, what do we need on Sunday? Do we need to have amazing preaching? Do we need to have fantastic worship leaders? Do we need to have, and, we've, and, and praise God, there's wonderful men and women who are helping us so wonderfully. I tell you, if we don't have the glory of God, we have nothing. You know, when it comes to ministry time, at the end of a, of a preach. These are moments of glory. These are moments when God puts his attributes on display. That person, he's enslaved. He's chained. He, he's caught in addiction. God, who is all-powerful, puts his power on display by setting the captive free. That person who is lost, that person who is as dead as a doorna, dead as sin, in his coffin, he cannot respond to God. There is no hope for him. The gospel comes and brings resurrection because God is the God of life. He is perfect life. He puts that on display. He puts his forgiveness on display. He puts his mercy on display. He puts his justice on display. And it is glorious. And the church goes... God is in the house. Glory to God. Praise Him. It's nothing human about it. It's all of Godness. And we need God's glory. If you're, in a, if you're a part of the ministry team, I'd just like you to stand up. Because I want to... Come on, wherever you are. Don't be Paul, Stephen, all nervously sort of looking at each other. James at the back. Well done. I'm just going to pray. Folks, these are people who are praying for the glory of God to be made manifest in your life. They can't do anything of themselves, but they are 
They are willing to be blessings to you, to lay hands on you, that you might see the glory of God in your life. And so if I were you, sitting where you are, when the ministry time comes, I would say, hey, pray for more glory of God in my life. Lord, I just want to pray for this ministry team. I want to pray they are carriers of something eternal. They're, car- they're carrying something of God. And I pray for a confidence in them, Lord. They, they've got nothing of themselves. But Lord, as channels, as conduits of divine glory, I pray fill them with your spirit, fill them with faith. And as they lay, lay hands on people, may they know, Lord, you hear their prayers. And you come rushing to set the captive free, to bring the child home into the father's house. So I pray for glorious moments in their life this year as they minister in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So are you hungry for more of glory of God? Are you? Or are you content just to have a nice meeting? The second thing that Jesus is full of and I think we need to be hungry for is a grace that is full, full of grace. It says later, doesn't it, it says, we know that the law was given through Moses, grace grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, verse 17. Moses gets the law. The law is good, it's perfect. It shows us exactly what it's like. It's a mirror that we can hold to our face and see that we're fallen and that God is holy, that we aren't God. Let's never pretend we're God. That was the first deception in the garden, that you can be like God. We can't be like God. We're human size. God is God's size. So God gives the law. Moses takes it to the people. God says, this is the covenant. This is the relationship through these rules. And no one could keep the rules. They needed, they needed somebody who could keep the rules. Someone who could live this. Someone who could fulfill it, embody it in flesh and blood. And grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. One who kept the law perfectly. One who was obedient to death, even death upon the cross. One who, on this Sunday, when we remember him making his way to Jerusalem with all the praising of human beings, he set his face towards a cross. It was the only way that you and I could ever be saved, that he would die for our sin on a cross. It's the only way. And Jesus fulfills the law perfectly by dying as a substitute, his blood for our lives, his resurrection as a gift for all who call upon him to become children of God. That's our Jesus, full of grace full of grace his life to the broken to the person who was caught in addiction the person in in prostitution in poverty Jesus gave grace upon grace upon grace today Jesus gives grace upon grace to everyone who's in need now the sad thing is the church so often go back under legalism Romans 7 talks about the, the, the law being like a husband that you're married to who's perfect. Now, none of you ladies who are married can ever imagine what that's like. But the law was perfect. The, the, the law could point out every single thing you did wrong. Imagine being married to that husband. Every drop of speck of dust, everything you did wrong, every bit of mess, the law would point that out, but it was powerless to help you. The law brings condemnation. It brings about people who are critical of others, who point the finger at others, but feel really condemned themselves. 
Grace came in Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, who broke the power of legalism in our lives and said, I love you because I love you because I love you. And you're never going to exhaust my love. We come into the family through grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We come in and we find we're now part of a family. We're part of an international family. Look around you at the international size of this family. It is wonderful. And then we start to think in the, in the flesh, thinking, well, I'm slightly better than those other Christians. We're a slightly better church than those rabble down the road. We came into this by grace. And you cannot exhaust the grace of God in your life. Jesus defined grace. He demonstrated grace. And he showed us what grace is like. I love the way Andrew Wilson in his book on Exodus says, there are three R's in the, the Exodus narrative. He talks about rule, rescue rules and relationships. And uh, he said that Christians are always getting them messed up. Always getting them mixed up. He's saying that so often we think, no, no, if we, we've got to keep the rules. Rules come first. And if we keep the rules, we might get a relationship. And that's why we get condemned Christians. Legalistic churches. Churches where Jesus is in a box. But he said, no, no, no. What happens is that rescue is where we all begin. God saves us. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep the law. The law condemns us. But by the grace of God, God sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. He is the one who breaks the chains of captivity and brings us into freedom and gives us grace. And so when we receive that rescue, he then puts in our heart his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. So it's not like Christianity is believe in Jesus, do as you please. No, there's a desire and a delight to follow the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. We want to know what pleases God. It brings us delight. God says, hey, I want you to give. Before we were Christians, giving, no way, I want to hoard it. Now, how much do you want me to give, Father? This brings you pleasure. I'll put 10,000 in the building offering because I know in heaven you love it. We no longer keep the rules to earn God's approval or earn a relationship. We, we keep the rules because it brings intimacy in that relationship. If you don't believe me, let me just finish on this section, just Titus 2, 11 to 14. This is so interesting how Titus describes it. He says this. Um, so remember, rescue first. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, rescue. It teaches us rules to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for that blessed hope, the appearing and glory of our God, great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify himself a people, relationship. We are family, a relationship that are his very own who are eager to do what is good. And then finally, truth. 
If you think the first few points are challenging, here's, here's where, where it goes. Third point, are you full of truth? Are you full of God's truth? Jesus, it says here, is full of truth. What is truth? Pontius Pilate said that to Jesus. After Jesus said, I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Well, what is truth? But it's vital, vital, you and I understand what truth is and what it isn't. What we do with truth, where we find truth. See, in our culture, up until the 1950s, we had a modern way of thinking that the world was getting better, that we were on a journey, that we were learning from history, we were improving. There was a grand narrative, there was a point to our lives and we're all trying to be on that journey but we all believed it has a purpose and was coming to some glorious end and we were all on that journey getting better. But postmodernism, since the middle of the 1950s says actually there is no story at all. There is no point to human life. There is no truth. Have you ever met someone who said to you, uh, they, they said something like this, um, there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. And you say to them, well, sky is blue, no absolute truth. Gravity, no absolute truth. XXXY, male, female, no truth. There is no absolute truth. I say, hang on, what about what you've just said to me? If there is no absolute truth, then no absolute truth is not a truth either, is it? It's a self-defeating argument. Either there is truth or there isn't truth. Well, it's all personal, it's all relative. No, it isn't. There is truth which is absolute. And Jesus is the absolute truth. There's no lying in Jesus. What Jesus calls black, what Jesus calls white, what Jesus calls good, what Jesus calls bad. It, the modern world might change and say, yeah, well, we used to call it bad, now it's good. And we used to say it was a lie, now it's truth. Popularity, applause by human beings, doesn't change that nature that it's still a lie, it's still wrong, because we have one who shows us absolute truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is, a, is the self-expression of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Truth is what is consistent with the mind and the will and the glory of Almighty God. And it's really, really important, brothers and sisters, we get hold of this. We don't come to church, we don't hear preaching, and I've had this so many times, people come up to me afterwards and we've talked about marriage, and someone's come up to me and said, do you know what I think about it? Do you know what, God, God doesn't go, oh please tell me, I'm fascinated. I'm sure I can add this to my book of truth. No, we're fools to say to a God who is otherly different, who is totally holy, in the glory, full of glory, full of grace and truth, we can add something to him. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to truth, we need the humility to bow before his word, bow before the preaching of his word when we hear it on a Sunday and say, I need to change. I need to align myself to the truth because I know in that place I can flourish and be all that God's created me to be. Jesus is 
the word of God. Let the word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, dwell in you richly. And what the word of God tells us is three basic truths in the Bible. Man is lost. He's rotten to the core. He's fallen. He's disobedient. Secondly, the world is under the devil's deception. The devil speaks lies. He's the father of lies. That's what he does. He lies. So when you meet non-Christians who are saying, they're full of lies, you think, where do all those lies come From the devil, who's full of lies. And thirdly, the truth about truth is we are followers of the living word who have been given his Holy Spirit, who will draw us towards a Bible and he'll want us to live in obedience to the Bible because it brings him joy and it brings us life. So Christians, we can't ignore this. We can't think, I'll read this once a week. This should be like our daily food. Are you hungry for the Bible? It's food for the soul. Even when you're really, really going through it and you read it and you think, I could be reading anything. The Holy Spirit is in you and it's doing you good. Full of grace and truth. So, how do I want to finish? Mike, if you want to bring your worship team up here. Which appetite, if you've listened to this word, which appetite are you saying, I'd love more of that in my life this morning? Do you want to see more of the glory of God in your life? Do you need to see more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Are you lacking joy in your life? Are you feeling you're just going through the motions as a Christian? I feel this is a moment where you need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Are you enslaved this morning? The chains of injustice, the chains of bitterness, the chains of addiction, pornography or alcohol, gambling. You're full of hopes but every time you want to come to on a Sunday you just can't respond because the chains he's pulling you back where well, you can be free this morning because there is grace upon grace upon grace I've responded before guy yeah so have I a hundred times to that possessing sin to that issue in my life to that unforgiveness I've, I've responded many times and I'll tell you what every time I've responded there is grace like a mighty Niagara waterfall pouring over my soul and it does me good. Do you need to respond? Are you hungry for the truth? I believe there'll be many in this room that have relieved their Bible understanding, their love of Jesus in a, in a, in a cold place, in a distant place, like eating once a week. And God said, no, there's a delight. There's a table set out for you every day in my word. My spirit will feed you. Come to him this morning. You know, in, you know, the biggest exporter of diamonds in the world, do you know which nation that is? India. And in India, they take diamonds, they examine diamonds, they grade diamonds, and they send diamonds out across the world in terms of cost and how rare and everything else. Do you know one of the best paid persons in the diamond industry is a diamond grader? They can look at many diamonds that go under their thing in a day and they, with, their, with their eyepiece on and they grade diamonds. Do you know how they begin each day? They begin each day with two hours of study of the most expensive and pure diamonds in the world. 
And when they behold the beauty of the pure, when they look at others, they can grade them in terms of bad, indifferent, not bad, good, and the values they bring. Brothers and sisters, you get the point. We're not asking you to look at a sermon this morning. We're not asking you to look at an eldership this morning. We're not asking you to look at a worship band this morning. We're asking you to look to Jesus. The diamond. A diamond in the rough, but a diamond that has been lifted to the highest place in heaven. At his Father's right hand. Who is altogether beautiful. Who is altogether glorious. And when we see him and behold him, all the things of earth find their rightful place. They begin to dim as we behold him. We say no to sin, yes to him. So let us be in his presence this morning. Why don't we stand? Father, you gave your greatest gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. Jesus, you gave your life upon a cross so that we might live. Amazing grace. Holy Spirit, you raised Jesus from the dead. And you raise our mortal bodies into the very life, into the very Trinitarian life of God. Amazing, amazing grace. I pray, Father, as we worship you this morning in spirit and in truth, that your glory will be seen in this building. And we would yell, we would say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the God who has done all this for us. Come by your spirit this morning. We pray, heaven touch earth, please. Set the captive free. Save people here this morning. Deliver people from the dim, demonized this morning. Let your power go to work, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him. Let's behold him. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.